Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast. Here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker. Welcome to another coronavirus episode of Buker Friendless, subsidiary of Buker and Friends and part of the United Wecast Network. I'm Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio and read me on Bleacher Report. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Rick Buecher, and on Instagram at Rick underscore Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear just me talking about what I exclusively feel are the most important or interesting topics in the sports world, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that's here. So as much as the rest of the world did, I watched the first two parts of the 10-part documentary on Michael Jordan called The Last Dance, focused primarily on the last championship season, the 97-98 season with the Chicago Bulls. And I'm actually kind of winging this particular uh, podcast. I normally have, it's not a full-on script, but I'm pretty thorough in when I'm doing a friend list to write everything out and have a real clear sense of what I'm going to talk about, and where I'm going to go. For this one, it's more my takeaways from seeing the first two parts, things that I was reminded of, and things that a combination of looking back, looking back at having been there, and then looking at all that I've learned since then about covering the NBA in the subsequent 20-some years, uh, I thought it would be, I thought my my perspective might just be a little different than a lot of other people's because that's a fairly unique place from which I speak. So there are three topics that I want to hit that came up to me as I was watching uh, the first two parts of the documentary. And the first is why Jordan's legacy and brand has resonated for so long. Why is he still selling merchandise, shoes? I mean, let's face it. He really hasn't been in the public eye all that much. And uh, when he has, it's been as the owner of a Charlotte NBA franchise that has been mostly underwhelming. So what is it? How has he defied all that? I also want to talk about what the documentary made me realize has been stolen from today's players. Whether it's LeBron James or Kevin Durant. Something that has been taken from them that's not necessarily their fault, but it is something that is invaluable 
and I believe is a big factor in why Jordan was who he was and all these other guys don't quite reach that level. And then the last is what social media might have done to those 97-98 Bulls because there was no Twitter. Uh, there was, I mean, the, the, the internet was just really getting going. So what would have been like if there had been Instagram and smartphones where video could be taken of everything and anything? And I'll probably start there. I don't believe that it would have had any impact. And the biggest reason is because those bulls, and this is what struck me as being so refreshing, that in that day and age, you had the Chicago Bulls who were protective in their way, but if they were ever asked a question, they told you directly what they were thinking and what was going on. And that goes on for, that goes for GM Jerry Krause as much as anybody else. I, I saw the reaction of a number of NBA players, former and current, when the documentary covered where Jerry Krause was basically saying, yeah, we're going we're gonna to rebuild this thing. We're going to tear it down. And Scottie Pippen, yes, Scottie Pippen is on the trading block. And yes, this is Phil Jackson's last year. And I think that they were offended, the players, because it gave the sense that Jerry Krause thought he was the most powerful guy that it wasn't Michael Jordan. And I understand why they would be upset with that. But I dare say they all would appreciate a GM, especially in this day and age, who was straight up with them, who didn't mince words, who didn't say one thing and do another. Now, I don't know what Jerry was saying to Scotty, and it doesn't really matter because publicly he was, he was saying, yes, we listen to offers. And I will always listen to offers if I think it's going to make the team better. I can't fault him for that. He may have mishandled this, but honestly, where the team was, I wouldn't have run Michael Jordan off. I wouldn't have run Phil Jackson off. But there's a certain truth to the fact that the team was, the rest of the team was hitting its peak, Scottie Pippen included. So, but I just, that's why I don't think social media would have had a huge impact because Michael Jordan was direct. Jerry Krause was direct. That franchise, look, they weren't giving you the ins and outs of what was going on with Dennis Rodman on a regular basis, and that could have created a distraction. But the locker room was full of so many veterans uh, and guys basically who had to prove that they could answer the bell, that they could handle everything that Michael Jordan asked of them, that I just don't see anybody cracking under that pressure. In fact, if they did, they usually did not stick around. Since I started with that one, I'm going to work backward on my three topics. And the, so the second is what has been stolen from today's players. And that is the necessity to prove themselves. Kobe Bryant had no choice. When he came in, he came into a very good Lakers team. He had to come off the bench when he first joined that team. I don't think it's an accident that he became what he became. And that's how his career started. But I look at some of the other talents, amazing physical talents. And yes, LeBron is on the list. LeBron James, 
Anthony Davis, Joel Embiid, DeMarcus Cousins, Tracy McGrady, Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, Markel Fultz. I'm just going off of the last, I don't know, five, ten years. These are all extraordinary talents who were already proclaimed great players, franchise players. Do you think any of them, any of the ones that I just mentioned, came into their franchises or their teams with the attitude, I am at the bottom of the totem pole. I need to prove myself. No. And they didn't, and yet they were still anointed. So again, I don't necessarily put it all on them. And in some ways it highlights how extraordinary it is that LeBron James did become what he's become because he was already the king coming in and he did have an insatiable hunger to continue to pursue this thing. And I take my hat off to that. No, no question. But it's still for what we saw with Michael, because that was the other thing, whether it was James Worthy talking about him at North Carolina, where as a freshman, came in, wanted to play James Worthy after practice, one-on-one to see where his game was. James Worthy, a Hall of Famer, one of the greatest small forwards of all time, said that he was better than Michael at that time and stayed better than him for about two weeks. And by the end of the year, when they won the championship, Michael was, and Michael hit the game-winning shot, Michael was a great player. He had an urgency about becoming a great player, about accomplishing that he wanted what he wanted to accomplish. That I again, I just I think that's been robbed from today's player because they have so much, whether it's financially or it's recognition or it's the automatic. This is how great they are based on their statistics or their highlights or something other than proving that they are absolutely the best player on the floor every night. I don't know where and when we began to interpret greatness by a different definition, but we've lost something as a result. There are those who will say we're smarter because we can analytically look at the game. I respectfully disagree. We've lost something. Analytics has its value. It does have its its benefits for teams and development and rating players and all of that. But it doesn't tell the story. And we've gone way overboard in assessing them and thinking that they tell us what the greatness of a player is. There's too many variables, too many other variables to take into consideration. Before we get to the last subject, which is why Michael Jordan's legacy and brand and image persona has lasted for so long, resonated so strongly. I do want to say, just watching the first two episodes, man, it was a pleasant walk down memory lane. The The first was just seeing Jordan shoot with one of the old pitchbacks as his rebounder. Uh, that was something as a kid for me, I dreamed of having. And I think at one point, I, t- I had one for baseball. Never had one for basketball. I can't tell you why. Uh, I think in part because the hoop on my garage was so close to the garage door that uh, most of the time the ball was coming back anyway. If it didn't hit the the roof, uh, it had a pointed roof right above the the hoop. And a lot of times it would hit that and ricochet back. So wasn't quite the need for it. But 
in any case, saw that, and now my kids in are both in high school and play on their teams, and they have the electronic shooting guns, which catch all the rebounds, spit the ball back out. You can change the direction of the passes coming out. It times you. It counts your shots. You name it, it does it. Long way from those pitchbacks. Also love the the sleeves cut off of the t-shirts and the gray sweats that the Bulls wore in their first public appearance getting off the plane in France, of all places. It was... I just enjoyed seeing a lot of those things. The baggy suits that Jordan was wearing, I still have a few of those in my closet and uh, a little too big to have them tailored and and fitted for the style today. Nonetheless, enjoyed all of that. And it also underscored how long ago Jordan was at his height. I mean, we're talking 20 years ago. And part of it is because of the shutdown that everybody is just frothing for this 10-part documentary. But the other part is because of the symbol that Jordan represents to everyone in sports. And the beauty of Jordan and the beauty of this documentary, even through the first two parts, is that hearing him talk then and hearing him talk now, it's the same guy. He talks with the same directness whether it was being asked about that first Bulls team that he joined being a cocaine circus, and he tells you the story of walking into a room and seeing the lines, the cocaine lines in one place and the dope and dope smokers in the other corner and the women in the other one and how he said, you know, that wasn't, it wasn't for me. And he said, I didn't drink then. And I, I love the honesty of that too. Because we know he likes to have a cocktail now. Uh, and he'll smoke a cigar now. That's also why I'm not worried, as my FS1 colleague Marcellus Wiley is, that this documentary is going to show us a Jordan that we hadn't previously seen. And those warts are going to change people's perspective on him to the negative. Uh, look, we already know pretty much all of the warts that were there. Uh, Richard Esquinas wrote a book about gambling with Jordan and how Jordan owed him a million dollars off of golf bets at one point. Uh, the There may be some tales that I've heard that haven't been told, but Jordan's never been afraid to confront those directly. And that's one of the other elements here. It's not just an honesty uh, about himself, and his drive and his relentlessness. But he never was passive aggressive about anything. When he went at Jerry Krause, and I think this is really important and well reflected in the documentary, it was clear that he and Jerry didn't get along. He took exception to what Jerry did. But if he was going to poke fun or talk about Jerry, he did it to his face. Before they went out in the, for the start of the 97-98 season, the home opener, and they're in the back, and he says, Jerry, you're going to join us in the layup line. And Jerry says, yep. And he says, okay, we're going to have to lower the rim. Or, or I think it was a practice session where Jerry was there and was taking some sort of pill, and 
He asked if those were the pills that kept him short or the diet pills. Or... He made fun of Jerry to his face. And when it came to talking to the media and being asked tough questions, whether it was good or bad, Scottie Pippen holding out or basically, you know, taking his time coming back from the surgery, saying Scotty was being selfish or I only want to play for one coach or at the end of the 96-97 season when he was asked about the possibility of the team not coming back as is and saying he felt that they had a right to defend what they had, that you can rebuild. And this is where Jordan really showed his savvy. He made a remark about the Chicago Chicago Cubs have been rebuilding for 42 years. Now, as you may or may not know, Jerry Reinsdorf owns the Chicago White Sox. To take a shot at the Chicago Cubs was would only endear him to Jerry. That's a savviness that I don't always see with today's players. I There's a lot of ducking and hiding. There's no way, let's put it this way, no way Michael Jordan has a burner account on social media. No way... If he wants a coach gone, that he's going to hide from wanting that coach gone. And I dare say that after those early years, if he was upset with who he was playing with, if he had demanded either trade me or you got to get me new guys, that certainly would have been in there. And maybe maybe we'll be surprised. Maybe there maybe it still is. But I everything that I know about Jordan in those times and everything that we've seen to this point Jordan wasn't going to the front office and telling them what they had to have or who they should go get. Now, he put everybody to the test. And from what I've been told, players said it would be the player who would go to his agent and say, you got to get me out of Chicago because he couldn't handle what Jordan put them through. But Jordan's aura was something else. Judd Bushler, who was on that 97-98 team, told me about going to a celebrity golf tournament. He was caddying for teammate Steve Kerr at the time. And uh, it was big-time celebrities. Steve obviously plays. and But there was, there was a who's who there. John Elway, Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Ben Roethlisberger were among them, all on the practice range when Steve went to hit some balls. So he and Judd go to the far end and they walk by all these guys and they go to the far end because Steve, let's face it, uh, wasn't quite the caliber of the guys that I just mentioned. And he starts to hit a couple balls and all of a sudden there's this weird silence and then a buzz and they look around and they're wondering what, what's going on. And they look down at the far other end of the practice range and Michael Jordan had just arrived. That was the kind of presence that he had, even among greats. And what was it? Because look, Gretzky won. Uh, All of those guys had their time where they were considered the best, the, the champion, and had varying degrees of personality. What was it about Jordan that separated him there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I think there's, I think there were three parts that are, again, so clear. And I already talked about one of them, which was the honesty. Like I've never, if I'm wrong, please point it out to me. I can't recall a time in all the time that I have known Michael and have read, heard, seen Michael where he has had to say, no, what I meant was, or I want to take that back, or that was misinterpreted. I can't remember it. He's always been very direct, very smart about what he should talk about. It's not like he told, gave away the farm. Didn't always tell everything about everything. But he was never disingenuous. I believe that's a big part of why the Jordan brand has this authenticity and this integrity that still people gravitate toward. I think the other part is, is, or another part, is humility. And the fact that he said, I was the low man on the totem pole. And maybe most important, saying even now, without Scottie Pippen, there is no Michael Jordan. That is a powerful, powerful statement for him to say, particularly in light of the fact that it was just a couple of years ago that Scottie Pippen had the audacity to say on ESPN that LeBron James was better than, than Michael. And then immediately took it back. Which, if you watch the documentary, and even if you, for what you saw of Scotty in part two, you realize Scotty says some things, Scotty some, believes some things, and he may say and believe them wholeheartedly. And yet, when it really comes down to taking a hard look at what it is, he will just as quickly realize that was a dumb thing for me to say. For example, when he says joining the Bulls that he thought he was better than Michael Jordan and suddenly he realized oh no I'm not but said yeah I thought that I came in talking that way and it only took him a minute to discover that he was not I can't tell you why he said what he said about LeBron I don't know whether he got lulled into it I don't know if he was looking at it from a statistical who knows who knows but certainly, you ask Scotty today, there's no way in hell he's saying that LeBron is better than Michael. Nonetheless, Michael saying what he said about Scotty in light of what Scotty said is tremendous humility. One, I think it's kind of true. I mean, Scotty certainly deserves credit, Phil Jackson deserves credit. All the pieces around Michael deserve credit. He put them through the mill. He got them prepared. He was the driving force of all of those teams. He made all the big shots and all the big plays. But nonetheless, or at least the biggest ones, nonetheless, 
He recognized what he had around him. And I, again, name me a current superstar who has said, you know, without that guy, I would have never become who I am. And there are a number of guys, and I'm not going to beat this horse, there are a number of guys who should be saying that because that is the truth. But they can't humble themselves. Or for whatever reason, they haven't said it. Maybe they're going to wait until they retire. Maybe. We saw Kobe and Shaq make up. And I don't know if they would have given that up in the in the moment either. So the third part of why Jordan's brand, legacy, however you want to phrase it, continues to resonate and have this lasting impact. I'm going to call it honor, just so I can go with the three H's. Honesty, humility, honor. And it's that he honored the game. You know, we're coming in saying, what the, being so angry that after he broke his foot in his second season, and they wanted him to sit out the rest of the year, and he refused. You're talking about a team that ended up with 30 regular season wins. I've credited Steph Curry for coming back, even though I thought it was a, a, a bad idea, on the worst team in the, uh, in the league. And Steph came back and played. And for those of you who were saying, yeah, he didn't bust his ass to come back, you don't know anything about the injury that he had. He broke his hand. And Gordon Haywood broke his hand. Not the same thing. Steph had, uh, had nerve damage in that hand and the way it was broken uh, there's a reason it took months upon months for him to come back and he was still feeling numbness in that hand when he decided to play those few games before the virus shut us down so and, and nonetheless true sign of leadership and desire just to play I mean honestly uh, I don't want to put Steph on the same pedestal because he's not as far as a player is concerned but his integrity is right there with Jordan. I've never known Steph to say something that he had to walk back. He's always been up front. He's also, by the way, one of the few current stars who gave recognition to someone else, and that's Kevin Durant. And he's done it with Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. He's recognized them. But Steph made a point, and Clay Thompson did too of saying, we need Kevin Durant. That's a big thing for Steph in particular, a two-time MVP to say. We need Kevin Durant. It's the truth, but the fact is, got a lot of guys who wouldn't be willing or able to say that. This also speaks to Jordan's honor, honesty, and humility, which is the fact that after he broke his foot and he wanted to come back and he wanted to play and they put him on the minutes restriction of seven minutes a half. He left it up to Stan Albeck, the coach. He tried to convince him to play him more. He wanted to play in the final seconds of the game that would decide whether they went to the playoffs or not. And yet, the coach wouldn't put him in. And so he didn't go in. That is profound. For a player of his magnitude on a team like that, as big as Jordan was, and as amazing as it is to say, he stayed in his lane. He had respect for the people around him. I'm working on a piece for Bleacher Report that will be out this week. It talks about 
how uh, has guys who that he played with that talk about how Jordan the the mental games that he played with opponents and how he overcame all of the attempts to physically intimidate and abuse him, particularly by the Detroit Pistons. And and I don't I don't want to spoil what I have uh, here, so look for it there, and I may talk about it in the next podcast. Uh, certainly, we'll be talking more about the subsequent. Uh, episodes of this documentary. But I just, to me, the takeaway from these first two was a reminder of why people are still buying the Jumpman, why the Jumpman logo and his shoes are collector's items and continue to sell as well as anybody else's in all of sport. And you think about some of the great players out there and how long it's been since he's been around And I dare say that this documentary is only going to add to his pocketbook. Aside from the fact that I think he's got, uh, obviously, he's got a piece in the production of, of this whole thing. I do hope that more of the focus is on Jordan than it has been so far. We've got Scottie Pippen in part two. We've got Dennis Rodman coming up. The Jordan story and the pieces that we've already seen behind the scenes, to me, are incredible, are gold. And it's the most interesting parts. I Honestly, uh, the, the Bulls story from 97-98 is not as big to me as the saga of Michael Jordan and what he became and how he became it. So... We'll see where this goes from here. But that does it for this episode of Buker Friendless, subsidiary Buker and Friends and part of the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want us to do something for you, send a screenshot of that review to at Buker Friends and you will be eligible to win some prizes. I promise. I'm not sure where we're going to go in the next podcast. I may have a guest. I may have uh, Ryan Hollins or Will Blackman, my friends in the podcast world, joining me. Or this may become a regular thing where we do Buker Friendless. Some of you have said that you enjoy this version of the podcast, and it is work-intensive for me, but if it's what you want, it's what I will give. So we'll see how that goes. Please let me know one way or the other what you'd like to hear and see. In the meantime, stay safe out there. Uh, We can get through this together. Don't count days. Uh, Enjoy the time and the opportunity to do something a little bit different, to live a different life. I know some of you are probably hurting financially and are scared about what things are going to look like on the other side of this. But I am taking an optimistic approach that we're all going to learn a lot about it and that it's It's bringing us together in a lot of ways. We're going to realize how connected we are in so many ways. And in in this case, in a very biological way. So with all that, uh, please take care of yourselves. And as always, thanks for listening.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.